0: Ladies and gentlemen, good afternoon and welcome inside the latest edition of Across the Cavs. It is Thursday, January 28th. we got a special guest I'll be introducing momentarily, but first, it was a great win for the Cavs last night. Down two points at halftime, turns into a 15-point win. They scored 36 in the third. They scored 32 in the fourth. Andre Drummond, 23-16. That really doesn't even matter because he had five steals and two blocks. Torian Prince had two blocks. Jared Allen had two blocks. Cavs had 16 turnovers. Colin Sexton, a few too many. But he scored 29, missing just four times as the All-Star ballots just came out today. You know, retweet any tweets that have Colin Sexton and hashtag NBA All-Star in it to get those votes in or go to NBA.com. You know, I don't know if he'll get in. There's some very deserving players. He certainly got a chance. Dylan Windler plus 29, had a hunch. He was going to have a good performance while he only shot the ball six times. He was the Cavs' first sub off the bench in the second half, which I think is very telling of what the team thinks about him right now. And on a rare Jetty Osman off day, we saw Isaac Koro dish out six assists. Darius Garland got off to a quick start and scored 14. And most importantly, the Cavs beat the Pistons again. Good for Andre Drummond being 2-0 against the team that opted to trade him for a couple of guys that are not in the league right now. I do hope to see John Henson get a contract and that we haven't seen the last of Brandon Knight, but when you can get a guy like Andre Drummond for two guys hardly playing, you take that 10 times out of 10. Now introducing today's guest, he is out of Kent State, he is a scintillating 6 foot 1, he is the radio play-by-play man in his second year, Tim Alcorn, welcome to the show.
1: Oh, it's great to be here. I really enjoy this. So, I appreciate the opportunity to chat a little bit.
0: Yeah, Tim, absolutely. And, you know, always great to talk with the voice of the Cavaliers. So tell me, uh, uh, Tim, what did you like about Dylan Lindler and his effort last night?
1: Well, Dylan gives you a little bit of everything. Uh, He obviously can shoot. That's why the Cavaliers drafted him in the first round last year. Uh, They knew he could shoot the basketball, but He has really come in this year, which now turns out to be his rookie year after missing all of last season with that uh, stress reaction. So uh, his long arms have really helped on the defensive end of the floor. He gets in passing lanes. He makes deflections. uh, He gets rebounds. And he moves the ball well. I mean, when the ball gets in his hands, uh, if he doesn't shoot it, it comes out of his hands pretty quickly. So Dylan Windler does a lot of things well. And I still don't think – uh, we've seen the terrific uh, shooting eye. I mean, he didn't play basketball. He didn't play in the NBA last year. So uh, once he really gets sharp uh, and feels comfortable, I think the sky's the limit for Dylan Windler. But uh, that young man contributes in a lot of different ways for J.B. And Zach, as you said, you know, first guy off the bench in the second half. And that is a telling point uh, that J.B.'s confidence is in him is just growing and growing.
0: Yeah. It was just four minutes and 29 seconds in generally JB, you know, as you notice makes that sub about four to five minutes into the first quarter, either right before or right after the under seven media timeout, just depending on when that is third quarter usually waits. So that was very telling, you know, but I was very happy to see him, you know, get the, get the run plus 29, you know, generally plus minus isn't a huge indicator if it's anywhere uh, up or below 10, but when it's, where it was the Cavs are minus 22 with Winler off the court in the first half. And that's the only thing I really need to see to understand that he's back. And so you talk about Dylan Winler, and let's talk about Colin Sexton. You know, you're, you're around the team a lot. Are you surprised by his leap this year?
1: No. Uh, when you go back to the end of last season, even though it was shortened uh, with COVID, he was really on a tear. Colin Sexton uh, closed out the season Unfortunately, it closed too quickly for us, but he closed out the season on a scoring binge. Uh, He was just putting up big points night after night. Uh, I want to say that uh, in the last two weeks of the year, he hit his career high and then kept surpassing it uh, at least twice, if not three times. He was just scoring. Uh, He was scoring the basketball. So uh, the, the concern was, would that pick up this year right where he left off last year? And it has. I mean, aside from the two games, uh, uh, Sunday up in Boston and then Monday against the Lakers, uh, he has been shooting the rock and and creating shots. And that's one of the things that Colin does very, very well. He'll take it into the lane. He has no fear there. Uh, He's not a a three-point bomber. He'll pull up on the wing or on the baseline. So Colin Sexton uh, has really arrived. As an NBA guard, and right now he's playing at an All Star level. I heard you talking before about uh, retweets and uh, getting Colin onto that All Star team, and he is playing at that level right now. He's having a terrific start to the year.
0: And you talked to him about his uh, scoring efforts. He actually has not scored in single digits in thirteen months. You go back to December twentieth of last season. It was the first. It was, I believe, that was the Jordan Clarkson farewell game. It was the last one he played as a Cav before he was traded to utah and he scored just nine points hasn't been under that since he had 32 which i think was the career high against utah on uh, early march and then he dropped 41 against boston and then uh, he had the good game against the spurs to end last season but i'm doubtful honestly tim Look, like it's early in the season we still have about a month until things are officially announced but I look at the year Collins having with his close to 26, 27 a night. The shooting efficiency, as I saw Chris Fedora tweeted, nobody has a true shooting percentage, field goal percentage, and three point percentage as high as he does. I just feel like the NBA never rewards those shooting guards that just mostly just score. We haven't seen CJ McCollum get the nod before. We never got to see Kevin Martin or Monte Ellis and Zach Levine is basically doing what Colin is, but getting less attention for it. So I love what Sexton's doing, but I'm iffy on if he'll actually get the opportunity.
1: Well, that's why we need to push it, that he does (laughs) deserve to be on this all-star team, because if he keeps putting up these kind of numbers on a consistent basis, it it doesn't roller coaster. It doesn't go from 40 to 15 to 35 to 19. I mean, it is 20 to 30, and usually in the mid-20s, every single solitary night. Uh, he's as consistent a scorer as there is in the NBA. And Boy, I'll tell you what, uh, I'll keep talking about it, and I, I'll keep pushing it because I think he absolutely deserves to be on the team at, at this point. I mean, yep. we're 18 games in, but uh, the way he's played so far, he certainly uh, would deserve consideration at this point.
0: Now, and the only way I would say he doesn't get it is if it came down to him and Malcolm Brogdon. I, I think it could just with what he's doing right now, I think he already has two game winners and he's having 23 and seven assists. They lose TJ Warren. to get Malcolm Brogdon just playing two roles, but we're not going to talk about Malcolm Brogdon. Good for him for doing what he is. This is a Cavs <laughs> podcast, so...
1: Well, I will say this, and I'm not going to get into the debate of Sexton versus Brogdon. Brogdon's a great player. He's a tremendous player, but Colin did have the game winner down in Atlanta and the three ball that he hit with Kyrie Irving right in his face to uh, send that Brooklyn game into overtime. I'll I'll put that shot up with any shot in the yeah. NBA so far this year. It was an unbelievable shot. So believe me, Collins had his moments mm-hmm. as well. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm, I'm with that one for sure. We're going to talk more about Sexton, and we're going to talk about the Pistons matchup part one a little later. But closing out last night before moving ahead, Tim, Andre Drummond dunk on Plumley, who Mason Plumley, first and foremost. Dylan Luna got under his skin, gave him a little shove. I'm sure you were surprised as we were watching at home at the game when there was no call. And then Drummond said, you know what? I got you, young man. Just dunks on him, lefty on his head. It was the play of the night on NBA TV. It was incredible.
1: Yeah, he posterized him, And as I said uh, on the call last night, going southpaw. He went with the left hand on that and just absolutely crushed that. And Andre Drummond, and we've talked about this during the broadcast, Jim Jones and I when he plays with fire and when he plays with passion uh, he is virtually unstoppable he is such a physical presence in that low block that when he crashes the boards or just takes it strong to the rim on a shot uh, he's so big physically I really don't know anybody that can match up with him so yeah when he wants to make his presence known he can definitely do that and Boy, that dunk last night was something special. There's no doubt.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he's had some great moments. Sometimes maybe tries to be a little too flashy, but at the end of the day, when you got a big man, leading the league in rebounds again, can put up five steals without sacrificing his position entirely in the paint and then block a couple shots. Emphatically, you got yourself a great player. And it's a rare case where you ignore the field goal percentage because he does so many other things for you. And when the shot falls... I mean, it's a great thing, but we, and
1: Zach, well, you, just to say you made a great point about his steals because everybody talks about Andre with points and rebounds, double, doubles, double, doubles. I mean, it just seems as though it's a, you know, it's anticipated going into every game. Uh, but that's a great point about his steals. He's very active on the defensive end and he moves very well for a big guy. And that's what leads to a lot of those steals. And, you know, every time you get steals, you're taking one possession away from the opponent and giving yourself an extra one. So that's a big stat for Andre. Absolutely,
0: it's huge. And we'll also just say the five steals are a product of him taking Larry Nance's averages and meshing them with his own because he <laughs> wasn't there last night.
1: <laughs> yeah, hopefully Larry will be back soon. Uh, he was questionable for the game against Detroit, so that leads me to believe that he's not that far off. And I'm not the medical guy, so I won't make that projection. But yeah. he was listed as out right away during the day. He was listed as questionable, so. I think at some point in the very near future, uh, he'll be back out on
0: the floor. And they'll definitely need him to go against Julius Randle tomorrow night, which we'll, we'll talk about, but all right, Tim. So as most people know now, broadcasters are not traveling this year. It's the first time. And I don't know how many years that it's been the case in the regular season. Obviously the playoffs are a little different, but what's it like calling games remotely? So when you're not, you know, at the arena calling the home game, like when, like when the Cavs play the Clippers it at, 10 o'clock next week, that's, that's going to be interesting. I imagine calling the game at 10 o'clock Eastern on the East coast.
1: It will be, it will be um, there's pros and cons to not going on the road. Uh, the cons is, you know, just the opportunity to meet guys uh, from the other ball club and share a dinner or whatever with the other teams, play by play voice and see these arenas because there's just beautiful arenas uh, throughout the NBA and just see those cities. I mean, not that you're out there sightseeing, you've got a job to do, but uh, that part of it is, um, it it is a little bit strange because you you really enjoy that aspect of the job. And you also enjoy being in an arena. Uh, There's just a little more feel to the game, the crowd, everything else, uh, to be in a studio makes that very, very different. Now, to that point, uh, our production crew has just done an amazing job as Jim Jones and I sit there and, and look at the monitors and call the games off the monitors. Um, we have all the arena sound in our headset. So I'm, I'm hearing the 24 second clock. I'm hearing the buzzers. I'm hearing the shoes squeak on the floor. Um, so you're hearing all that. So you have a sense of at least being at the arena, even though you're not. But you know, we listen to the officials as they explain a replay challenge or whatever it may be. But, um, yeah, you're, you're definitely at the mercy of what the television director is showing to the television audience. So, um, you know, if he goes to a camera angle or if he goes to something that perhaps I wasn't looking for or that I'm looking to try to figure something else out, uh, I'm at the mercy of that director. And I get it. He's got to direct the game from that truck for his TV audience, not for the, uh, for the, you know, the radio guy who's sitting in a booth somewhere or in a production studio. So, uh, it's been different, but I think Jim and I have adjusted pretty well. Um, there's actually some vantage points where that center court shot from the television is, is better than where we are in some of the road arenas. So in that sense, uh, it does work out and to your point, Zach, yeah, when we go out on the coast, that's going to be, uh, it's going to be like the guy and, and the gals who worked that third shift. We're going to get down to Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse at like 9 at night and uh, get out of there around one thirty two 2 o'clock. So it'll be a little bit different, but, you know, there is something to be said about being close to home. I live about 15, 20 minutes from the arena and uh, I get to come back home and sleep in my own bed. So that's that's a good thing.
0: That's definitely a good thing. And another question I have here in regard to the vantage point you mentioned. Now, obviously, it's a little different. You're at the mercy of the directors, but the big difference with TV and radio play by play is kind of painting the picture that, that fans can't see. So when you're at the arena, you know, you can see everything on the court, you can yeah. see who's cheering from the bench, you can see any off ball movement you know maybe the off ball screens aren't as visible to you how has it changed perhaps how you're using your palettes kind of paint what people are seeing because you maybe can't see as much of the off ball action
1: so you're talking about the road games calling off the monitor yeah yeah um yeah it is a little bit different but in the end um your, your job is to call the game on the floor uh my mentor my you know dear friend Joe Tate, you know, always told me, you know, Tim, people don't care about your basketball IQ and, you know, diagnosing this and t- trying to predict that, you know, they're listening no matter where they're listening. They want to know the score and the time, who has the ball and the, the real basics. Now, you, you try to add to that. But so if I'm calling a game off the monitor, I still adhere to those principles that you know, Colin on the right wing, you know, on the right side, dishes off to Jared Allen or whatever the case may be. So I'm still trying to paint that picture. And I do that whether or not I'm sitting in the Jote perch at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse, or I'm sitting in a production studio beneath Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. We, uh, you still have those same basic concepts uh, that you want the listeners to understand what's going on in the game and then be as descriptive as you can possibly be in describing that
0: and you know I unfortunately I personally have not been able to catch a game on radio yet just because there's nowhere to really go at night anymore right be in the car but my goal is to catch at least one one Tim Alcorn Jim Jones game because I will say that and as uh, we spoke a couple weeks ago one of my highlights generally it was it was Mondays and Thursdays which is when my men's basketball league was, because uh, folks, so I'm not in Cleveland, but I get you guys on serious, is that, you know, uh, it we start at 7.15, I'd say, with our men's league. So I get into the parking lot at five to seven. We've got the pregame on. And then at minimum one, sometimes two timeouts. I'll even miss a game, you know, because you guys just, you bring a lot of energy and love what John and Austin do on the TV side, Tim. But sometimes, you know, when I listen to you two, you bring great energy. He's a great compliment to what you do. And it's just really fun to kind of, you know, hear the audio of it and have you guys tell us what's happening. If we don't want to watch the visual.
1: So, well, first, first of all, Jim Jones is just awesome. Uh, I mean, I love Jim. He's tremendous as a color commentator and uh, Jim and I have become pretty close on a personal level as well. He's a great friend and uh, he's very entertaining, but he has this vast, uh, wealth of knowledge about the nba i mean you know you you don't want to forget about the fact that he played with kareem he played with magic he played with guys that won nba championships and of course a Cavs legend as well uh during the miracle year so uh, jim Jones has an unbelievable amount of just intuitive uh thoughts about the nba and about the game that we're calling so i love working with jim i think he's very entertaining and uh, but he also delivers some real cool insights and, and Zach I'm going to give the NBA a, a quick plug here uh, for 10 bucks for 10 bucks you can get league audio pass for the whole season for every game so Ten bucks.
0: I'm 10 in. Bucks.
1: go I'm to in. NBA go to nba.com now there's the, the video side which is much more expensive <laughs> but if you just want to listen to any game any night 10 bucks gets you the whole season. Uh, every game and it's under you you gotta scroll a little bit but it's under audio pass I bought it 10 bucks man I want to listen to the other play-by-play guys so I'll do that so there's my NBA audio pass plug how's that for ten dollars
0: I'm in I'm getting it the second we sign off I'm excited I might even I might even I might even watch the tv on mute (laughs) <laughs> with, with the audio of you and Jim in my ear, I think that's what I got to do. That's how it comes full circle.
1: All right, all right, fair enough.
0: <laughs> all right, so closing out this year, then we're going to talk about games to come. And of course, our pal Isaac Okoro is crushing it. But I think we both know the answer, Tim. Before I ask you your favorite game, just want to shout out the fact that the Cavs have already gone a double overtime and won in double overtime twice <laughs> in the span of 18 games. Colin Sexton in the first game decided to just Uses used his super speed to get the the layup right inside in the waning moments after the Pistons went cold. And then he decided, Cavs are down three, to take an airballed three and turn it into an alley-oop. He's 6'1", by the way. That's not normal. And Tim, Cavs beat the Nets twice last week. And I think it's pretty easy to guess what your favorite game of the early year has been, even though every game has been fun to see the progress of this young team.
1: Yeah, you're right. Uh, and I even wanted to double check the games just to make sure, but, uh, yeah, there's no doubt. It's a clear cut consensus that, uh, the Cavs double overtime win over Brooklyn, uh, was just something that I think we'll all remember for a long time. It was the first game ever for the big three of the Brooklyn Nets with Harden Durant. And of course our old friend Kyrie, because Kyrie had missed some games, so it was his first game back. So the first game of the big three, uh, Brooklyn had a lead. Cavs come roaring back. Uh, Boy, I really wish there had been 20,000 at Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse because that place would have been absolutely rocking. Uh, I alluded to the fact earlier that uh, Colin Sexton, who had a career-high 42 that night, but he sends the game into overtime with Kyrie right in his face on a three ball from the left wing. A great shot from Colin Sexton. So we go to the first overtime. Uh, Boy, both teams go back and forth in that first OT. We go to the second OT. And I think Brooklyn just ran out of gas. I really do. Um, You know, I'll let the Brooklyn folks talk about the Brooklyn folks. But as Jim Jones said uh, that night during the pregame and throughout the contest, Brooklyn's bench right now is a little bit thin. And, you know, they've got the big three and they've got some terrific players, but uh, they're not really deep. And I think the Cavs wore them down in that second overtime to end up winning 147 to 135 in double overtime. And that was just a blast. That was just an absolute blast. So, yes, that would certainly be the game. And uh, if that game hadn't taken place, then the other double overtime win, as you alluded to, uh, only game two of the year uh, against Detroit. Detroit. And that was another one where the you know the Cavs trailed on the road and uh, just willed themselves back into the game with the last eight points of regulation, and then they were down nine in the first overtime and rallied from that to go to double overtime and and win it in that second OT, Zach. But yeah, that one that one's a hair below the, the Brooklyn OT win.
0: Yeah, and it's better than the last OT game against the Nets where I went triple overtime. Marquise Chris went from red hot and cooled down. We go back two seasons and then Jordan Clarkson had 40 in the loss. But we're not going to talk about the losses because the Cavs have had a lot of wins. And you know why they've had a lot of wins? Tim, as you know, a 20 year old kid named Isaac, last name coro, played at Auburn last year. He doesn't seem like he's 20. Well,
1: he just turned 22 days ago, so uh, 17 games into the year. He was a 19-year-old, uh, played only one year at Auburn, and really impressed the folks down there. I mean, and he really wasn't expected to start. He was, uh, he was going to Auburn uh, where they had a senior-laden team, uh, but he just forced himself. He willed himself into that lineup, and the word on draft night was, boy, this kid's ready right now. To play NBA defense and he's done that I mean he was now LeBron had a big night but he was bodying up LeBron he was bodying up Durant in that first game and uh, took on Harden in the second game when Durant sat out Uh, he's taken on all comers and he really is a terrific defensive player and his offensive game I think will pick up and it's better than everybody anticipated I mean he's not scoring 25 but he's around double figures every night And again, defensively, he helps out, uh, steals, just tough defense, forcing tough shots. So uh, he's made an impact. And I think he's been well worth that number five pick.
0: Yeah, he scored in double figures in six out of his 13 games. You know, the Cavs went one in or two two and three in his absence, missed him a lot. So it was great that that injury didn't hinder him any further. It just seemed every game there was a new guy going down. But, you know, since he came back, he's done great things and Tim, I also think the reason that so many cast turns are so high in him coming into the draft is, and look, Michael Kidd-Gilchrist's career has definitely not panned out as many of us expected. He's still, I think, only 26. I think he'll get one or two more chances in the league. But he was taken number two because or by uh, by Charlotte in 2012 because they believed his defense was so great that the fact that he really couldn't shoot the ball wouldn't matter. And I think the Cavs saw a similar thing with Okoro, but he could fix the jumper. I mean, he's made 11 threes in 13 games, which is better than we could have asked. And you know what else I think? And tell me if you agree, he does miss a lot of shots, but A, he's fantastic driving to the rim as we saw that little Euro step move in the paint last night. And B, I think it's a case where we're not panicking when it comes to him having to shoot. I think he's shooting with confidence. And as a fan, I love when he he goes for the threes because you never know. I think he's getting better as he goes.
1: Well, you mentioned his ability to get to the rim. And the other thing that he's done very well, Zach, is when the Cavs run, he's athletic and he's quick and he gets out on that wing and he races down the floor. So uh, he's usually one of the guys when the Cavs run a break, he gets out and goes for it. So he adds that dimension. And right now, Isaac doesn't have to be the scorer. On this team, Uh, we we talked earlier about Colin Sexton, I mean, he's your primary guy, you got Drummond down in that low block. So I think when they made the decision to draft Isaac Coro, uh, the thought process was and I'm guessing here I haven't had conversations with Kobe Altman and the like, but I think the thought process was we need help defensively right now. And the Cavs have gone from dead last to one of the upper echelon teams as far as defensive ratings and points per game is concerned. So Isaac Okoro has played a huge part in that. And and JB is also giving him a lot of playing time. It's baptism under fire. Isaac Okoro, a lot of people would think uh, Colin Sexton, Isaac Okoro leads the Cavs in minutes per game. He's out there a lot. So they're going to let him find that shot. They're going to work with him on it. Uh, But defensively, he's been as good as advertised.
0: And I also think it's got to help to have other young guys like Colin Darius and Dylan all under the age of 24, all great shooters, all young, all wanting to show each other who the best is in practice.
1: Absolutely. I mean, and these guys are competitors. Um, You know, they like going after one another in a, in a team way. I mean, you're right. You know, who's scoring more, who's knocking down shots. Um, And, you know, you mentioned they are all such young guys. So, they still have a a pretty high ceiling. It's not as though they're in their mid to late 20s. And you can see that, hey, what you see is what you get. Uh, They all have room for improvement. Uh, I know we're not talking about a scorer per se, but you also throw Jared Allen into that mix. He's only 22 years old. So Okoro's 20, Allen's 22, uh, Garland's 21, Sexton's 22. Just 22, yeah. Yeah, so... (laughs) You know, you talk about a young core of really outstanding talent. Uh, this team has a tremendous future
0: ahead of them, and it's going to be a lot of fun to continue to watch them grow. There's no doubt about the. Yeah, Sexton, 22, confirmed. I had a uh, sneaking suspicion it was <laughs> actually 23, but we, we're talking about birthdays, and that's a perfect segue here, Tim, because what are the odds that 2019 with the fifth overall pick, the Cavs select Darius Garland out of Vanderbilt? 2020, the fifth overall pick, the Cavs select, Isaac Okoro out of Auburn. They're both born on January
1: 26th. Yeah, we were talking about that the other night during the broadcast. And, hey, you know what? Maybe there's something to being an NBA young player born on January 26th. Maybe I'll Google that to see what other NBA players have a January 26th birthday. But, again, the youth of this team, and and you see such promise, you can see – how good this team can be and really at nine and nine this year with all the injuries they've had and everything they struggled through i mean there were there were nights where i was reading the injury report and it was six seven deep uh and it was a lot of front line guys um last night when cavaliers took on detroit that was their 10th different starting lineup 10th different starting lineup in 18 games and you had JB has steered this team to a nine and nine record uh, at the quarter poll. We're 25% through the season. So you can't say enough about the job JB Bickerstaff has done. Uh, he is a terrific coach and he is absolutely the, the right coach for this team right now.
0: Absolutely. And I want to add, I knew this, I've known this for a couple of years. This is one of my favorite stats. So a couple of years back, Tim, when the MAV, before the Cavs had Darren Williams, he was playing in Dallas. He was playing with Raymond Felton and J.J. Berea. all three of their point guards, June 26th. How do you like that? Really?
1: Yep. Uh, see, I did not know that you you taught me something here. today. That's
0: <laughs> always the goal, but we, we usually learn from you. So I'm honored I could teach you anything to be, to be frank. but um, Well, I
1: must admit, I, I try to do a lot of homework, but I don't study birthdays. So. I got you
0: there. I've, I've, I've always made it a point to just understand the birthdays, know who's when. And uh, today, Michael Cage, 59, uh, former Cavs big man in the, I think it was the eighties, bouncing with the thunder now, but he, uh, he was a nice big man when he was in Cleveland.
1: So what famous athlete, I'll ask a question. What famous athlete is born on your birthday?
0: Oh, In I what? got I got Nene. He's my he's my big one, but is just pretty solid,
1: pretty solid. All right, all right. I got
0: A-Rod. Oh, that's bad. So I have Dice K on the baseball side, but he, <laughs> did, he didn't pan out the same way. <laughs> <laughs> that's true.
1: <laughs> I think A-Rod's the only one on, uh, sports-wise, any sport. I think A-Rod's the only
0: one. So, so then <laughs> July 27th. There you go. Okay. Aaron rod will be 46 and we're not, we're not, we're done. We're done talking about (laughs) ages. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to
1: steer you off course there. Sorry. No,
0: please. Hey, you know, it's, it's always great. You know, the, the best conversations, as you know, Tim, are the ones you don't, when it's the conversation within the conversation. The information you don't expect to learn and the things you can learn by following up on hearing that. So I, I know you know go. that as well as I do. Well, see, now, now I'm going to Google Nene's birth. <laughs> oh, you don't know it already? Oh. <laughs> sorry. Turn, that's sorry. all right. It, <laughs> September 13th. Okay. <laughs> September 13th. All right. And it, and it's notable because my mom, my dad, and my brother, birthdays all end in a two, and then there's me ending with a three, the 13th. So that's, okay. that's why it's – there you go. <laughs> but, all right, so looking ahead, you know, the Cavs have some interesting games. And uh, being Tim Alcorn is going to mean being at the arena past midnight five times in eight days from February 8th to 15th. Uh, Five games on the West Coast, the likes of the Clippers and the Warriors and the Suns. So I'm excited to see how the Cavs personally go up against the likes of a healthy Curry, a Booker and a Chris Paul. But Looking ahead, uh, Tim, what do you think the Cavs have to do to keep up their record as the schedule gets tougher and as they have another uh, tough road trip coming
1: up? Well, that long West Coast swing will certainly be a test for this basketball team. Again, it it will all start on the defensive end of the floor. And and JB started that mantra back in the summer. We are going to get better defensively. You know, the old saying that defense travels. You know, you can go on the road and play great defense. Your offense will fluctuate. It's up and down. But it will all start at the defensive end. And that's where it's going to have to start, especially when you're on the road. Now, you know, does a Kevin Love come back uh, within the next week or two? I don't know the answer to that question. I wish I did, but I don't. So, uh, but he's certainly that veteran when you're on the road, because we've talked about, you know, how, how young this team is. They're talented and they're exciting, a lot of energy, Um, but a young team going on the road, you know, that becomes even more challenging. Now, granted, you know, you're not facing the, you know, the away crowd per se, because of the, uh, because of the arenas and COVID and protocols and that sort of thing. But, So that's a little bit different. And obviously they're just caged up for the most part in their hotels. Uh, the NBA passed those new protocols a couple of weeks ago that said, uh, you're either at the arena or you're in your hotel. It's one or the other. So, um, so that plays into it somewhat too, but, uh, to win on the road, you have to first start at the defensive end of the floor. And if your defense can create some offense, uh, then you'll keep yourself in most basketball games. So I would think that would be the key for the Cavaliers is continue to excel at that end.
0: And something to hang their hats on going into these tough games is that they played the Lakers really tight without Larry Nance, who they definitely missed defensively in that one, having to play JaVale at power forward for a good chunk. The win – look, the Sixers without Embiid have not won a game, but still they're a very good team, and the Cavs are their only loss, I think, out of their first eight or nine games. So still – that was a great effort. The fact that they're closing out this year, and yes, they played the Bucs without Giannis, but the Bucks without Giannis also almost took two games from the heat in the uh, playoffs last season. So the fact they lost, I think it was by 10 and held them to hundred is significant. Every good showing that they have, you know, the fact that I think they have a win and then they had the loss against the Grizzlies, but Memphis has now won five straight, and they only really have gotten Morant back. Everyone else is out so they can hang their hats on beating Memphis you know, they tried against Orlando. That was a, that game was just tough. Orlando lost Fultz and won that one for him. But let's talk about Conlon again, uh, Tim. He's, we look at his averages. I got it right here. It 25.2 points, three rebounds, four assists. The assists are a career high. The 1.2 steals are a career high. 34 minutes, a career high. Shooting splits, 52-47-81. And my question is, He's only averaging four more points, one more assist, but the field goal percentage is up. I think his impact is up because there would be times last year he might have a bit of an empty 29 where the team might not have been in the game. Now mm-hmm. his scoring is leading them to wins. Can he be a legitimate candidate for most improved this season?
1: Um, I don't know about most improved. Uh, he, he's he stepped his game up, but I don't think his game was at a level where it has really risen incredibly dramatically you know to put it that way in fact I think on the on the Cavs team just on an individual level with the organization uh I would almost look at Larry Nance I mean I think he's really improved his game um but Colin has definitely improved especially when you go back to that rookie season um you know there was a lot of forced shots and and again that's just getting yourself acclimated To the NBA, you know, the the game is so much quicker and the defenses are so much tougher uh, than when you're in college and not that Alabama doesn't play a great schedule or anything like that, but uh, the NBA is a different level. So Colin Sexton uh, has really developed the ability, number one, to take better shots and number two, and I, I don't know if this comes from JB or if it's just something that Colin now accepts, Uh, I think he has a lot more trust in his teammates. I think when you look back to that first year or even into, you know, the the early parts of last year, uh, Colin, when he got the ball, you know, it it wasn't going back around and then come back to Colin. You know, I mentioned that with Dylan Windler, when he gets the ball, if he doesn't shoot, he gets rid of it again. Um, I think Colin now has a lot more trust in his teammates and, and JB talks about trust all the time. That's, part of the, the culture to use that word uh, that he's trying to build. And I think Colin has really developed that trust with his teammates that if I give it up, it is going to come back around to me and I'll, and I'll have a, a better shot or at least not a, as difficult a shot as if I put it up right now. So I think that has happened. So he definitely improved. And as you just mentioned a few minutes ago, he's still only 22 years old. So he's had, four coaches, I believe, in his three years with the Cavs. So I think he and JB have a tremendous relationship, and I think that has fostered his growth as well.
0: Yeah, definitely uh, better chemistry with this JB than the JB before, although obviously it was cool to see John Beeline get that first NBA opportunity. But talking about Larry Nance, uh, some numbers for you. He's averaging a career high in points, assists, steals. I think he's definitely could merit an all-NBA defensive second-team Should he get, should the eyeballs, should I think there's more eyeballs on the Cavs now than ever with the way they've played with all the young talents? I think there is a chance he could see, assuming he doesn't end up missing too many games with the wrist, ends up playing uh, the uh, number required, could get in there on the second team. So I think his defense has won several games for the Cavs. You know, shooting is down a little bit at 51%. That's because he's shooting uh, tougher shots, but he's 42% on threes. And JB said, and I know you remember, Tim, he wanted him to kind of play the Draymond role. And when he said that, I know a lot of folks were very confused. They thought that's not Larry's game. That's asking too much. He stepped right in, and I think he's done it perfectly when he's been out there.
1: Well, a couple of things about Larry Nance. Uh, First of all, he's very versatile on that front line. Uh, You can play him at a three, a four. You can even put him in the middle if you want to go small and quick. He can play the five, so uh, number one. Uh, you got a lot of you know a lot of ways you can use Larry Nance. Secondly, um, he's very athletic. So not only does he have some things intellectually basketball wise, I mean, he comes from a great basketball family with his dad and so forth, but he's very athletic. So on the defensive end, he can just create havoc, leading the league in steals. He's very quick with his hands. He's very quick with his feet. Um, so he gets into those passing lanes and going back to what I said earlier about JB and really emphasizing defense, going back to last June and July, he said this is where we are going to get better and he wanted Larry Nance to be a part of that because JB number one because of his versatility so whether I play you at the three, four or five, you're going to have defensive responsibilities. And, and JB runs some very interesting schemes and different things on the defensive end and And Larry said, you know, at first, it was like, wow, this is unique. This is different. But now that he really understands it and has deciphered it, he loves the defense. And I think Larry really enjoys playing on the defensive end of the floor. I think there are some guys, you know, they they love the offensive end and then consider defense, well, just part of the job. But I think Larry Nance really enjoys playing defense. And Uh, you can see where his wheels are turning on the defensive end of the floor, as far as where to cut off a passing lane or, you know, how to defend a guy. And I think Larry Nance has exemplified just how much better the Cavalier defense is this year than it's been in previous years.
0: And uh, history will tell you that the Cavs are better when a number 22 Nance is playing very good defense for them at at either forward position. So.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, you know, we do a, we do a, ancillary show for our Cavalier network stations called Cavs HQ. And the other day we had uh, Larry Nance senior on the show and we were talking to Larry about the similarities between his game and Larry juniors and and the differences between the two games. And it was a fun conversation. And actually the the producers of the show put together a montage of uh, Joe Tate, Hall of Fame announcer for the Cavaliers uh, making Larry Nance senior calls with me making Larry Nance junior calls and they kind of ran it together as a montage. That, was, that sounds that was a incredible. And
0: that's, that's, and very, very rare do you get someone like Joe Tate and then, then you got Tim Alcorn here going side by side almost with a clip like that. That's just, that's no other franchise has had, and maybe Ron Harper jr ends up playing for the Cavs or the bulls and we get a 2.0, but not nothing like that. That's incredible
1: i'll send it to you you can i'll let you listen to it it was pretty, i appreciate it
0: i look forward to that I forward i'll have to fun. we'll have to end early so i can <laughs> 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 right, well,
1: We got a no, oh, no, great no. job by our production staff it was it was really cool to hear it because joe of course is a great friend of mine and my mentor in the broadcasting business so as you said to kind of pair us up like that was pretty
0: neat and then you can't make this stuff up you know and uh Final talking point here, Tim, and we don't know what's going to happen. I think the trade deadline is set for early March. Cavs at this moment have the most uh, dangerous two-headed center we've seen in a long time. Uh, Let's see. The Rockets tried to pair Oshik and Dwight way back when. That did not work. Lakers tried to pair Dwight and Powell. Did not quite work, not just because of injury reasons. You see the Cavs right now have... Somehow, both these guys are still in their 20s. Andre Drummond's been around forever, and I think he's still only 26 because he was was young for his age in college. We did his one year at UConn. So you got Andre's not even 27 yet. You got Jared Allen at 22. How exciting is it that if Jared gets into foul trouble or Andre gets into foul trouble, and say even if they're both out, hypothetically, JaVale just comes in. You got – well, the focus is on the first two guys, but they can protect the rim – They can give you offense from 15 feet and in. They can dunk the ball. And most importantly, you really – the team is going to be good as long as one of them is in the game. It doesn't matter which. I've not seen that in a long time anywhere.
1: Yeah, the, the Cavs will get a solid 48 minutes out of that center position unless they go double overtime. (laughs) It climbs up to 58 minutes, but yeah, they are going to get solid center play all night long. As you said uh, with Drummond and Allen, uh, that is a one, two punch. And when you combine their numbers, it's just astronomical. What they're doing out of that center spot Uh, would be mid thirties as far as points. And, you know, up around 22, 23 rebounds a game. I don't have my stats right here in front of me, but I mean, that's just dominant. So when you have that type of low block presence, both offensively and defensively, rim protection. You know, it's amazing how, you know, the last couple of years, or at least last year, I'll say last year when Darius was a rookie, uh, you'd hear a lot about, oh, that small backcourt, you know, oh, they can't defend. Well, now all of a sudden, you got big guys behind you in the front court. Not that you just let a guy go by you, but when there's rim protection there, all of a sudden, it, it makes that defense a lot better. So, with Drummond and Allen, it's a great one-two punch. The Cavs have loved Jared Allen for a while. Uh, they, they really were high on him when he was coming out of the draft, but they didn't have a number one or a first round. They didn't have a first round pick that year. Uh, they've tried to pry him away from Brooklyn a couple of times, hadn't been able to do it. And uh, when they got involved in the talks, as far as Harden was concerned, uh, Jared Allen was number one on their list. Uh, that was the guy they wanted to bring here. And I'll tell you what, Torian Prince, he hasn't just been a throw-in. He nope. has played very well. So to uh, Landon Allen and Prince, at least the way he's playing right now, boy, Col- Kobe Altman did a phenomenal job with that deal.
0: And my, my closing note here on what you said as we wrap up, Tim, my favorite thing about Torian is that the Cavs have royalty on the court again. They went from King James to Torian Prince. <laughs>
1: You know, it's funny. I never really thought about that during the Laker game until Torian was on LeBron, and he he was defending him or something. I don't remember the exact situation or scenario, but I said something about Prince guarding the King. You know, it was it was kind of. I was like, okay, <laughs> so yes, royalty, no doubt about that
0: and that's got to be a movie apprentice the prince guards the king because usually like that you got you make sure the like, prank i'm watching thor right now actually as we wrap up for the first time so you know you got the king not really a prince in there but if you know there's an introduction to a prince and they're making a fourth movie next year if there's a prince and a king maybe the prince can guard the king forget about henchmen guards the guards and the knights the prince can guard the king just like the sure. cleveland LA. there you go <laughs> Tim, uh, pleasure having you on today. I'm glad we could get you on in the middle of a busy uh, Cavs schedule, and this has been a lot of fun.
1: Oh, this has been a blast. Anytime you want to do this, let me know. Obviously, I love talking Cavs basketball and anything else NBA, so I uh, hope I didn't steer you off course too much, and uh, anytime you want to do it, Zach, uh, let's sit down and chat.
0: I look forward to doing this again. You steered me off course just enough that we avoided the waves that would have blown over the ship. We needed to go off course to stay on course. (laughs) Good stuff. (laughs) Good stuff. So for Tim Alcorn, radio played by a playboy of the Cleveland Cavaliers, as always, I'm Zach Weiss. You can catch the show on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. I hope you all enjoyed it, and we'll see you again soon.